Well, this is a very special day. Uh, I get to talk with the author of Mr. Met and someone who's really been so kind to my dad and I for years. He was the former Mets PR relations manager. Now he's still in the community development and he's doing the vet alumni. He's doing a lot of stuff with the Mets still. Jay Horowitz, my goodness, a friend of 20-something years. Thanks for joining me today. My pleasure to be with you, Alex. My pleasure. So first things first, thank you for all you've done for the Mets and the community over the years. And, you know, when you retired, people were like, oh, no, Jay's leaving. But you haven't left yet, right? You're still very involved yeah, with the team. I'm, I'm semi-retired, Alex. I, uh, two years ago, I became the head of the alumni relations with the Mets. And you know, we haven't done a lot of stuff with our alumni through the years. And I just want to reach out to the guys and let them know we care. And, you know, doing, like, some podcasts and a newsletter and, bringing them back and forth to the stadium this week training and, and basically just letting them know we care about them and trying to rekindle some of the relationships we've had in the past. And you know what today is? In 1998, I believe, today was the debut of Mike Piazza as a Met. Yes. So yes. take yes. us through that day, firstly, as a, as a starter. Well, it was, um, you know, Mike was coming. We, we sent the limo to the airport to pick him up. The plane was late. We were playing the Brewers in the afternoon games. And he got there late, and he, he uh, got right to uniform, and Al Ryder pitched a 3 nothing shutout, I think, that day against the Brewers. And, and after the game, uh, we brought him over to the old Jets locker room, which is next to our locker room at Chase Stadium, and it was packed. And right then and there, I knew my job would be different. It was, Mike was like a rock star then. He, um, you know, we got more media, more fans, more national attention. And, you know, Mike really transformed our whole organization, gave him credibility. You know, the next year we got into the playoffs in 2000 was the World Series. But he uh, he just was a – we didn't have that kind of a player. And he just uh, gravitated people to him, the media to him. And it was just a really transformative experience for me in the ballpark. Jay, that was a, a whole interesting thing because that trade wasn't made at the deadline. It was made in May. I mean, it was just a – Unusual circumstance, so to speak, right? The way he, he, came went, he went to uh, Miami, and honestly, when he went to Miami, it was kind of a speculation. It was that Miami was going to hold him, but it wasn't really like the day before that I found out he was coming here. And uh, you know, Steve Phillips and uh, the ownership did a great job getting him over here. And uh, you know, he really was a shot my arm to our ball club, and really unexpected at the time. And he made so many records with the Mets too, but obviously. When you think about what we're going through right now, and I hope you're doing well in quarantine, by the way. I'm sure Met Nation. Yeah, everybody is up. Your family's well, too. We're doing good. Doing good. But but you cannot help but think of the way Piazza pulled us through 9-11, right? I mean, you can't yeah. help but make that connection. His home run, you know, is, you know, he came up to bat in the eighth and he, you know, you just had a feeling something was going to happen because Mike was a kind of a guy, the biggest situation, the bigger he stepped up. And, you know, that, that was more than a home run. It was something that really unified the city, um, you know, gave people hope, let people smile after 9-11. And after the game, Michael Owen, our, you know, most of our team sat in the dugout and we signed autographs for the widows and the police and the firemen. And, you know, that whole thing wasn't just a home run. I was really, really proud of our team, what we did in 9-11 from ownership right down to Bobby Valentine and players like Robin Ventura, Todd Zeal, Vance Wilson, Joe McEwen. We made countless visits to, to Ground Zero to visit the fire and police and, and, and the, you know, the, the fans down there. And our, our parking lot was a restoration area we sent supplies down to all the people down by Grand Zero. So it was a pretty, you know, that one thing, 1986 was a great time, but for me the best memory was what we did as an organization 
after the attacks of 9-11. Well, Jay, let's, let's take it way back because I know that people might want to know your story. You were this, you are this beloved PR man for the Mets and you're in the community, but tell us your story. Where did you start and how did you become so ingrained in the Mets organization? (laughs) Well, I said from the beginning, I was, uh, I was a terrible athlete, uh, and, and, and uh, I wasn't much of an athlete. All my friends played sports. So literally, for instance, I played for a team called Epstein's in New Jersey. Clifton. The only way I could hit the ball was to bunt, and I bunted all the time. Uh, when I got to high school, I couldn't play because I, uh, then I became a manager for about 12 different sports. And on senior day, I remember I got I more letters on my letterman sweater and the starting quarterback. Then I went away to college. I became the SID at NYU, my alma mater. Then I went to work at Fairleigh Dickinson um, in college here in New Jersey. And I worked here from 72 to 80. And then probably in the winter of 80, I got a call from someone. To back up for a second. In February 1980, I had accepted a job as a PR guy to work with Tony Kubek and Joe Garaggio on a game of the week for NBC. And about a week before I was supposed to start, I got a call from Seth Lundy who said he was representing the Mets when I like to join the come interview for, for the Mets job. I proceeded to hang up on him, and uh, uh, I found out a couple days later that it was a, a, it was a legitimate offer. I went down to, to Florida and interviewed for a job, and uh, you know, 40 years later, I'm still here. Wow, and and then you 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 work your way through the organization. You were there for '86, and I know that your book, Mister Met, sort of covers that journey that you were on during the '86 year. Yeah, it, it, it's just the, the relationships of you know how the club uh, reacted. You know, you know, working with Davey Johnson. You know, when Davey was hired in the, in, uh, in, the, in, in October of '93, I knew we got a good one. The first words in the press conference were. You know, to the meetings and why did it take so long to hire me? Davies was a hire was a really cocky. You know, um, he had a lot of you know he, he just believed in himself and and then in um, in eighty three you know, in eighty four rather we got uh, you know Daryl came in eighty three, you know Keith came in eighty three and in June and in eighty four we had a Doc and and, and Ron Darling and, and Gary that year and you know then in and went in hundred and went in. 
protective of him. Like we, we would only speak the day after he pitched and one day in between. There still was an awful lot of pressure for these young guys. I mean, Dwight was 19, you know, from you know coming from a small town, you know, a small family in that in uh, in Tampa, Tampa, and it just uh, you know they just you know we just there was a lot of pressure on coming to New York as young kids, and um, you know they you know they they rose to the occasion and you know led us to the promised land in 1986. They did, and of course later on they would have their struggles with everything and. I mean, were you there for them through those times, too? Yeah, I mean, I'm still there for them there. You know what? I mean, Daryl and his wife have become ministers. It's amazing. You know, I mean, they, 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 speak, they go around the country speaking about the evils of drugs. And, and you know, really, you know, Doc speaks to a lot of high school kids and, and grammar school kids. He does. He works for Hackensack Hospital. You know, he, he, he goes and sees sick kids in the hospital. And basically, the message is, is the same message. You know, don't do as I did. Mm. You know, and you're not afraid to, to say that. You know, living examples of people who made mistakes. I'm really proud to say that both of them have turned your life around and do good things in the community. And, you know, to this day, one thing, you know, in my job, I stay in contact with a lot of guys I work with through the years. And, you know, and, and I'm really proud of how they, you know, they had some bumps in the road, and, but they really rectified their life and they're on the right path now. They really are, it's, and I had seen Dwight at a, at a function a couple of years ago. He seemed great. He's doing good, so right. thank God for that. Now, right. Jay, one guy that we're, we, we should cover here and your experience with him was Gary Carter. I mean, you had all these personalities. Yeah. Then you sort of had the calming force in Gary Carter. What was that like working with him? Yeah, Gary, uh, you, know, you know, Gary was, you know, he came as the reputation as, you know, kid camera because he, you know, supposedly liked interviews, but Gary... Gary was was a guy who got both ends of the of the, of the same plane, the plane, and, and his devotion to community uh, relations. You know, Gary's mother died at a, at a young age at at fifty. She was very sick from leukemia, and Gary was such a giving person. He uh, he never turned away an autograph, never turned away a charity event. You know, he won the Roberto Clemente Award uh, uh, for his work with charities and. Unfortunately, Gary was uh, was taken from us all too long and dead for sure. He was 57. He died of brain cancer. But he you know, tell me a little bit about Gary Carter. In, in September, um, when he got sick in uh, in, in September of 2000, and, uh, I'm trying to say in, in, in 11, I broke my ankle. I fell, and Gary came called me every other day to see how I was doing. And at that point, he was. I was diagnosed with brain cancer. I went down to see him and with Jeff Wilpon, one of our lawyers, in February and January of 2012. And a couple of months later, you know, a couple of weeks later, he was dead. You know, he was, I mean, he was such a, you know, Gary predated analytics. He, he kept books on all the pictures, uh, you know, you when know, all pictures through. He wrote down stuff trying to help them. You know, Gary could go off the floor to game, but as long as we won, he didn't care. And, and he was, you know, he was such a decent, decent guy, you know, and it just, uh, you know, every, every February 12th, you think about the, the passing, but he's a, he, he's just a really kind person who, he understood there was more to playing for than hits and home runs. His work with the kids and the charities is just something to remember. All right, uh, Jay Harwood, who we're talking with, he's written the book Mr. Met, and, uh, Obviously, there is a Mr. Met at City Field and Chase Stadium, uh, and he's beloved just as much as you know, just as much as you are, Jay. So uh, I guess that's where his 
his inspiration was was the naming of the book, obviously, right? Like his inspiration. Well, you don't know. You know, it's kind of a funny story uh, how that happened. Uh, that I I had when I did this book, the you know I was dealing at the time with the older players, and he wanted to develop a you or Sheena who had a current team who had a good relationship with, and that meant probably was right was Jacob Degrom. So Jacob and I had a pretty cool relationship. Uh, when I asked him to do an interview, he would never say yes right away. He would say, Jay, I'll do the interview for you. If you can come out on the field and the phone goes to Stephen Max and myself. Or he would say, we have a little basketball net in the clubhouse. He would say, I'll do an interview for you if you make two baskets. And I never, again, not much of an athlete, but Jacob's always did the interviews. So the answer said, you think Jacob DeGrom would help write a forward for, for the book? But I asked him, he very kindly did. And in the course of that interview, he said to me, I said, you know what? In my eyes, he's the real Mr. Mm. And we got the permission to use the title for the book. And, you know, and, um, and you know, it's good. At, you know, you got to remember, you know, when Jacob came up here in 2014, he came up as a relief pitcher. He never pitched an inning in the bullpen. He pitched a seven shutter. A seven inning against the Yankees, tipped up one run, and the rest is history. Look at the year award. Two Cy Young, and there's no doubt in my mind that he can win another Cy Young or two. But he was kind enough to sit down and write the forward for my book, and he used the term Mr. Met, and they kind of went from there. Well, let's talk about Jacob. You know, everybody talks about Wright, and we're going to get to him too because that was a special connection too. But with with Jacob, I mean, the guy is a winner. He he wants to win. He pitches like he wants to win. And it's great that you have that friendship with him. Now, were you his PR person at the time when he first came up? You yeah, the... I came up in I came up in two, he came up in May of 2014, and you know we worked together for the Rookie of the Year award and his first Cy Young. You know, I, I was I was was with him, and the other said he picked so many games where he didn't get the run and one one was lost. He never ever ever lost his composure in the interviews. He kept his cool. It was always about team, 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 team. That's all he cared about. That's what separates from me from the other people. Other people. All he cares about, uh, 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 you know, we can win one nothing. He's great. Uh, uh, you know, he doesn't care. You know, what, what, how many runs the other team scores as long as we win. I mean, he's really just cares about the team, and that's why he's successful. He's really focused on one thing. He, he comes to the park, wants to win. Watch out the team with. Jay, in your book, I mean, you go into so much depth. What can people look forward to? And, I mean, right now, the, the, reading things like this will help people's spirits up, wouldn't you say? That's one of the reasons. I'm, ho- I'm hoping this, uh, this book brings some smiles to people, some fans, especially Mets fans. And one of the other reasons I wrote this book, Alec, I have a chapter in the book on Shannon Ford, who worked for me for 22 years. Uh, unfortunately, she died of the breast cancer at the old age of young age of 44 what a courageous courageous young lady when she died no less than nine major league teams held the moment of silence for her she was a t- tremendous worker a royal person a great mother and uh, i just wanted people to remember her legacy and uh, i have a chapter here talking about her battle with cancer and what she did and she she was she was sick very sick and 2015, but she wrote her way to the World Series and mm. unfortunately you know, passed away in March of 2016. And MLB helped raise money to build the ballpark in her hometown of Louisville, so there was a shattered North Pole field, just a couple of blocks from where she 
you know, uh, once you grew up, I hope people read the book, read the chapter on Chad, and, and just remember what kind of a fighter and great person she was. What's your vision for the rest of your time on the Mets, uh, at the Mets, and then before full retirement, if you will? Like, what's your vision? Well, I mean, hopefully, as long as they'll have me on, because I want to keep doing this alumni thing, keep uh, extending branches and developing connections, and then, you know, uh, people, you know, from from Jay Hook in 1962 to Joe Torrey, my first manager in 1980, just letting, letting the old, the alumni people know we care. Perfect example. Toby Landreth was the first player Mets took in, in their 1961 draft. I called him about a month ago, and he said to me, I was the first person who calls him from the organization in 50 years. I'm hoping to do more of that, to letting just a phone call or if somebody's sick, let them know the Mets care about just letting mm-hmm. know these other players know that we care about them. That's my goal for the rest of the time I'm with the Mets. And and obviously you're still outreaching to the Tom Seaver family and to Buddy Harrelson's yes, family. Yes, how are, how yes, are they doing yes, through all this? Um, but Tom is, you know, I really haven't, because of his illness, haven't been able to speak to him in a couple of years. I correspond with Buddy's former wife and they ask about him. And they're, oh, they're doing the best they can do with just Unfortunately, not ideal where they are now. I mean, they both have been there for a little bit. Just got to say a prayer for them and uh, like give them keep going. Amen to that. That's that's what we have to do. Well, Jay, this has been inspiring, and I think it's going to uplift a lot of Met fans Good. and baseball fans. I mean, I know that you you were the Thurman Munson Award dinner. I mean, you were you you were friends with both teams here in New York at the time. Yeah. So yeah, I try I try and. You know, just treat people like I would, I would be treated. Try to be kind to people. And that's what my whole philosophy going forward. And it was great to see you at the dinner uh, just a few months ago. Crazy to think it was only a few months ago, but it was. Yeah, it seems like an eternity ago, doesn't it? Yep. Hey, Jay, yeah. keep us posted on how you're doing, and we will definitely okay. stay in touch. Okay, thank you for your time, and be safe in your family.